You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. You know, but um, I never expected my life to be one tragic event after another. And it all started in 1997 when I started losing my eyesight, right? That was the first thing. In uh, 1997, um, that was the first real significant negative thing that went down. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. Hope you had a killer weekend. I most certainly did. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter, and I'm beyond stoked to have them behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that just loves old school thrash, well, you should let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You can tell them that there are over 380 episodes where I sit down with some of the world's best musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. If you were to encourage one of your thrash-loving friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm very stoked to be with Dave Carlo and Mike Campagnolo of Razor. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 387. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm with Dave Carlo and Mike from Razor. How are you guys doing tonight? Awesome, man. Very well, thank you. Very, very stoked to be with some Canadian legends, thrash legends. Uh, they're, they're, you know, you can count those. You can say that about like like five bands in Canada. So, so it's it's pretty fucking cool, and it means a lot to me. Being Canadian, being from Montreal, you you always respect your elders. Something that I've learned over time, and something that I, is important to me. And I hope that the younger generations do that to me one day. Maybe. Uh, let's jump into a very, very simple. Um, your first beers. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. Typically, what are you guys drinking on your side tonight that we'll be sharing virtually? This was our mistake. We thought it might. We thought it might be originating from America, so we bought. We got Budweiser here, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. If I was going to drink like a craft beer, I'd drink a Sleeman because that's my hometown. Yeah, and uh, I always enjoyed uh, Sleeman. For sure. Now, I'm a Wellington SPA guy. Guelph's a brewery, and uh, it's a Guelph brewery. Yeah. Wellington Brewery. Yeah. Yeah, we, we like that. I like that beer. Oh, well, there you go. That's my beer of choice. Yeah. Amazing guys on my side. I have something sort of sort of like that somewhat ties into your career um, It's not the right timeline. It doesn't really fall in perfectly, but it's close enough And I saw it and I was like, oh, this makes sense for tonight. This is from folly brewing This is saisons in the abyss obviously a play on words <laughs> From it's slayer awesome. which you know a little band that you toured with back in the 80s yes, uh, yes, This right. is from folly brewing uh, out of toronto, which is somewhat closer to you than a montreal brewery Let's say uh, massive shout out to Jamie Morris from Folly Brewing for making sure that I held this in my hand right now. And uh, I'm going to crack this, and I would love, love to hear about your very first beers, guys. Very first beer. Okay, for me, well, I can remember my first beer because I'm Italian background. I mean, uh, Canadian born, but Italian heritage. And um, what used to happen was uh, we would have a family picnic every year at an outdoor, uh, uh, you know, uh, recreation place. And uh, I remember as a kid, like, 
like five, six years old, sitting on my uncle's lap, and he'd give me a sip of his Molson Export. So that's my first beer. Hell yes. Uh, out of the old stubbies, right? But the sad part is, is we're actually old enough that we drank out of stubbies as adults. Too. <laughs> but yeah, that would be my first. Who was yeah. your first? Mine was an export. My dad was an export man by heart. So he every week he'd go to the beer store and get a case. And so I'm sure I stole one or, one or two of those. I remember we were in Quebec in the with Razor, the very first uh, in, in the 80s, in the early 80s. And um uh, you know, we used to ask for uh, export, and they didn't know what we were talking about. They they called it Molson. They just called it Molson. And so for a long time, we'd be like, uh, and, and of course, there was a language barrier there. Um, you know, I, I know a little French now, but I didn't know any back in that day. And, um, you know, we used to have to do like this. Because <laughs> we, we both developed into Molson Golden. Yeah, Molson Golden, yeah. My favorite beer back in the day, like for sure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they don't the, make. Do they even make? They that don't anymore? make that anymore. I, I, I've never drank a Molson Golden ever in my life, so I don't think it exists anymore. <laughs> it was a nice, a nice smooth beer, a real good smooth beer, five percent alcohol, but still nice and smooth. Yeah. I remember going to Montreal though, and some of the beers were super strong when you still are like six point five, seven point five. Yeah, it's the really well. We're Canadian. We can handle it. <laughs> we can handle it, and we love it. And uh, Montreal does have some really strong breweries. Uh, you guys might imagine, like La Fin du Monde, which is from Unibrew, which is like a 9% beer. 9.5%, I even think, in some situations. Uh, very dangerous, very delicious, very Belgian-inspired. I've definitely had a bunch of X fueled nights in my youth and uh, growing up um this on the other hand uh i don't think i've ever had so let's see what's going on here it pours out nice and golden it's an old school saison it says it smells sweet it's smooth honey a little bit of caramel rolling off my tongue there old world saison 6.2 percent just just sweet it's amazing i love it um let's just keep dancing into it you guys never got into the world of craft beer you got you you mentioned sleeman you mentioned wellington uh what what is it about have you evolved in the way that we've evolved with metal and getting into more and more complex things or did you guys just stay comfortable and then stick to that well you know i'm primarily a whiskey drinker so um you know i tend to gravitate towards that most of the time and the reason i became a whiskey drinker was simply because i found when i drank beer a lot i was always making trips to the bathroom all the time Yes. Uh, you know, how do I? So I started to switch to whiskey. But when it comes to beer, there was a craft beer down in the States, too. I don't know if you've heard of this one, Killian Red. Have you heard of that? Mm -hmm. I think I have, yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I used to drink that when I was uh, in the 90s, when I was a bit younger, um, when I could find it in the States. Couldn't find it everywhere. But generally, I think around Milwaukee and that area, that's where you could find it. Uh, you know, Wisconsin and. Uh, Detroit, Detroit, Michigan, and Illinois, that area was where it was. Uh, you know, I'm not sure where the brewery was. Yeah. I, You're more of a beer Yeah, as I got older, I, I, I used to stick with, like, buying a case of Canadian or whatever, and that kind of thing. And then I kind of developed into more of the craft beer stuff. I start You start going to pubs and trying different things. I'm not into the fruity, hoppy stuff, but I like a, a good uh, SPA or a... You know, but I, I'll go to when I buy my beer, I go and I'll buy like a German beer, a Czech beer, which I Czech beer. I love Czech beer. It's some of the best in the world. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I'll buy the Cronenberg or and I'll buy a variety for my fridge. So I'll just open the fridge and go, what do I feel like tonight? You know what I mean? <laughs> Travel in the world. Travel in right. the world in your fridge, Mike. I like that. 
<laughs> one beer at a time. Um, I would love to hear about the soundtracks of your youth when you were growing up in your parents or guardians' house. What music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? My mother was an Elvis fan and listened to Elvis all the time. My father was a musician and he was a keyboard player. He played the organ and piano and he actually made some albums for RCA in the late early 70s yeah i've got some uh, postings on my instagram and my twitter about my dad and uh, sometimes i do it uh, he's not here anymore. he's he's gone since 2006 but uh i uh, put some postings up um about you know I put, i'll post his album covers and some of the stuff he did but you know so he he liked a lot of show tune stuff and that kind of stuff and he played that kind of stuff his audience was a lot older than he was and you know and, you know, so I remember him complaining in the early 80s. He said, you know, my audience is dying off. <laughs> Nobody cares about my music anymore. Like, uh, you know, yeah. Sorry. As far as me, <laughs> my mom was the show tune person. She was into the Barbara Streisand movie soundtracks and uh, things like that. But my dad, when I was younger, it was mainly Elvis. My dad liked a bit of Johnny Cash oh, yeah. and Merle Haggard, the, the outlaw stuff. That's cool. Live at San Quentin, that was always playing. <laughs> so that's what I listened to. How about uh, your parents' perception of Razor's music? Was something that they understood? Was it too much? Uh, you guys were very, you know, avant-garde in the 80s, before any of this shit existed. So I can imagine it's like a shock to most people, like now, when their kids start doing something extreme. But back in the day, it didn't even fucking exist yet. So what, what were your parents' perception back when, in the 80s, you guys started playing more and more extreme music? Well, my dad was a musician, so from a musical standpoint, he understood what I did, and he used to refer to it as that horrible music that David likes. <laughs> that's, that's basically his summary of, of Razor and our, our career. Unbelievable. Well, yeah, when I was learning guitar and bass, I'd crank it up in the basement and have Rush on or ACDC. My dad would open the door and, do you know any real songs? <laughs> Russian ACDC is I mean, well, that's that's me, that was, yeah. well that's what we were listening to when we were kids you know, up. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, my my dad thought it was all just just horrible. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, he wasn't really a rock guy of any kind. So they didn't uh, understand metal. My parents. Well, I don't think my dad even understood like rock. To be honest <laughs> with you, I think the Rolling Stones were heavy for my dad. So, but uh, yeah, hey, but he was very talented. He was a great keyboardist. I mean, he could play classical uh, pieces and um, lots of other stuff. He, he he was a master on the keyboard. But you know, he, he did, played an intro to one of your songs. Well, he is on on the fourth album we did, Custom Killing. He played the intro to. Uh, we have a eleven minute track there that kicks off side two. That's something that we experimented with that won't, won't be repeated. But we did that, and uh, he played the intro to it. That's the last rites, yeah. See, that's pretty fucking cool, that. I, I was definitely going to lead towards that and, and ask if you ever did get your dad to collaborate. So that's amazing that you did. And we both, we, we definitely have something in common right there, Dave, about having an album that wasn't necessarily receptive. My first album with Cryptopsy was sort of a black sheep, we can call it, the unspoken king. So I understand what you went through. I empathize with you, and we've all moved on from there. But that is cool that you got to collaborate with your dad. Uh, how about your first shows? Do you remember the first time that you went to go see a live music experience, like your first live music experience? I sure do. I remember mine. My first, well, I'm going to say it was a, a metal or a heavy show, because my first real live music experience, other than my dad's performances, which I, I did get taken to some of his shows when I was a kid, so saw him perform but um i saw kiss in 1977 so cool uh july 1977 on the love gun tour 
and I was in the 12th row in the center on the floor. Wow. And so I, oh man, it was cool. I went with four other people who were friends of mine, and um, we had uh, our parents drive us because we were only 12, I was 12 years old. So cool. And uh, I remember standing there and standing on the chair because that's basically what we did for most of the whole show. Um, and um, they, like, they, they, the tickets were hard to come by, but we somehow weaseled these tickets. And uh, there were tickets that were in like the 25th row or something. There's four of them together. And there was one by itself in the 12th. And um, they all wanted to sit together. I could give two shits. I wanted to watch Kiss. So I said, I'll take them the 12th row. And I sat there and watched, and they just blew my face off. It was And it was that love gun. So if you ever have seen the jacket to Kiss Alive too, and you open up the album, you can see that huge picture with the drum riser with the cat on and all this stuff. I was right there oh, watching yeah. it from the 12th row center. Yeah, fantastic. Unbelievable. That's my first, first show. First, first show. Yeah, that, no yeah. Everything oh, boy, was downhill. Everything went downhill after that. <laughs> well, you know, I still saw, like, I mean, even it, it was, you know, you expect it from Kiss. Um, and so I saw other bands that I was really passionate about too. As time went on, like ACDC, they were there too, and I had a good seat for them. Um, this is in Kitchener, which is you know just not far from Guelph, uh, 15 minutes from Guelph, and uh, you know it was like a 6,000 seat uh, auditorium, uh, Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. And uh, yeah, I you know saw ACDC there too, and a, but we saw Black Sabbath there. Right, right. we saw, saw a few other bands there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I still appreciated. Um, those bands too they were i saw some fantastic shows but kiss of course was like you know the epitome of incredible showmanship right yeah my my i was 13 with paul chapman and we saw 13 13th row dead center we saw max webster and rush uh farewell to king's tour Farewell to king's tour where was that you would know you well i saw them on the hemispheres tour the following year i saw them in 78 you saw them in 77 so that was my first i just remember the lights going down and uh, do you remember, do you know the band Max Webster, Kim Mitchell? The Kim Mitchell, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, the first band was Max Webster, and they were kind of more of a hand. They were actually quite popular yeah. in Canada. They were a Canadian band in Toronto, and they were quite popular in the uh, 70s. And they were and, a lot heavier than Kim Mitchell, I believe. So yeah, I remember the yeah. lights going down, and all I could smell was weed. And I remember, <laughs> yeah, of course. What is that smell? Yeah. <laughs> what is that smell? You didn't know what it was? What? That was a little like, <laughs> what, a, what a sheltered child in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. How about your first times on stage? Do you remember that first time that you finally climbed up on the stage yourself and performed in front of people? Yeah, my first time on stage. Well, I was on bass. I, I, I played bass between the ages of 14 and 19. I was on bass. Was that because of Gene Simmons? Yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, well, you know, actually, the reason I played bass was because my older brother was in a band with um, Razor's first drummer, Mike Embro. So they were in a band, and they needed a bass player. So the way I could get into a band was to play bass. Yes. So that's why. I- <laughs> the sacrifices you made. <laughs> no, 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 no disrespect to Mike, of course. But <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, um, well, actually, Mike did uh, persuade me to switch because he wanted to be in Razor. So that kind of that's kind of how we uh, ended up switching. But um, like how I ended up going on to guitar was because Mike kept saying, "Hey, why don't you switch to guitar?" Because Mike was a bass player too, and he said, "I'll play bass in your band." Right. And he mentioned that a bunch of times, and eventually that, that became what we did. But, um, yeah, I remember that, and I was on stage first time. I took the stage, uh, was 14, 14 years old, yeah. Um, as, uh, yeah, in, in that band. The band was called Illumination, and we, we had our own originals, but we also did covers by Rush and um, Aerosmith and Ted Nugent 
and who else? Uh, Led Zeppelin. And uh, surprisingly, we didn't do any Kiss covers. So, yeah, <laughs> so your your brother was already playing with Embro at that point, and, and and you wanted you had been to his shows, I imagine, or had been to their jams, and and you you sort of like found a way to get in. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I remember going to see like they play they got to play at our uh, our junior high school uh, when I was like twelve thirteen they played and um, yeah I, I remember seeing that and then uh, you know then they had a falling out with the bass player because the bass player kept trying to uh, uh, had sex with everybody else's girlfriend so that didn't make him anybody's friend great band and member so I an opening. <laughs> and so that's how I got in there so I got in. <laughs> My first time was probably with you. No was way. Honest to God. Do you remember that show? Yeah, I played in a multitude of bands. Yeah, didn't you get in on the Ray Krause project? Didn't yeah. you get on stage? <laughs> no, we never really did any live oh, gigs. I thought you would have got on stage. Ray yeah. Krause was a drummer. He was in that guy's band. So. Interesting. So first time I said, do you remember that? I said, Dave, do you remember that first show with Mike there? When Mike came to see us? Uh, or no, when he, when he came onto stage with you for the first time. Oh, with Mike. Uh, that was probably the Canada day. The first show with Mike was uh, Razor. Was Razor. Yeah, the first yeah. Razor show. And that would have been the uh, summer of 1984. And we played at a played at an outdoor um, a park. There was a um, like a fair or something going on. What was going Canada on? Canada Day. Was it a Canada Day celebration? Canada. Yeah, and they booked a whole bunch of bands for the whole day. Show. And this the whole idea, the whole theme of the day was uh, different styles of music. So they wanted heavy metal. They wanted heavy metal represented. So I remember us, uh, we went on around four in the afternoon or something. They weren't really expecting us to be the way we were. We were a lot heavier than they were. I think when they thought heavy metal, they might have thought maybe, um, you know, like like Motley Crue was that at the worst. That might have been 83. That was 84 because was 84? We, had, we had Stace in the band. Stace was in the band. Oh, right. He didn't join the band until 84. Yeah, no, no. We we played and we, you know, I remember we played and I remember that people were mostly horrified that were there. They were old people with their kids and stuff. Pulling their children and then Stace, Stace did something that, that I would never do, honestly. I mean, I know it's rock and roll. People are fired, but he was dropping F-bombs all over the place. And I'm like, dude, you know, like. This is a family event. This is a family event. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, come on, it's just some fucking class. It's so, 4 p.m. still have some class, eh? <laughs> but he was doing that, and so we never got invited back. And, I mean, that was a good payday for us, I remember. Mm. We were well paid for that show. Interesting. One of my first gigs was at a Canada Day show here in Two Mountains, outside of Montreal. So, so we have that in common, just 20 years apart, maybe. <laughs> Very fucking cool. We didn't get paid, though. We, we got some beers. Well, we were surprised to get paid at all. To be honest, we would play anywhere at that time just trying to get exposure, right? Of but course. Not there was paid for that one. So. Very, very cool. Uh, we are having a conversation for something that's very cool. Um, Cycle of Contempt, first Razor album. Everyone says this, so we've all said it. All the interviews have said it. In 25 years, it's pretty fucking massive. It's pretty fucking cool. I watched yesterday before, as I do, I like to watch other interviews with people that I'm going to have conversations with. And I happened to stumble across my friend, the Vox and Ops alumni, Daniel Decay from Banger TV, did a very, very cool in-depth interview with you, which it premiered yesterday or the day before. Just fucking awesome. And I discovered so much amazing stuff about you, Dave, that I'd like to just shine like a little few things. There's a lot of obstacles, um, signs of perseverance, extremely inspiring events, mainly yourself and the perseverance that's inspiring that went through these 25 years to finally 
release another Razor album. Can, can we just talk about a few of those, please? Like such as like having children that have special needs, uh, your bout with cancer, your your Stargardt's dystrophy, and then the passing of your wife who also has cancer, and you were with her while writing all of this record. So it's a massive, like, cathartic experience, this record, for yourself. And I'd like to just shine on all of that, if you can open up about that, please. Sure, sure. Um, there's a lot there. A there lot is there. a lot there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know... Um, there's a passion for the for the music, right? I mean, that's always there. And um, you know, I'm a fan of this style of music, and uh, I I enjoy making it and creating it. And uh, the idea that I would um, just abandon it because I'm overwhelmed with problems never made any sense to me, right? Because like, why would you want to give up on something that you've enjoyed that you get pleasure out of? Um, so that that reason alone, I got to be honest with you. Even though I wasn't making records, I would make music just for my for my own personal pleasure, right? Yeah. I, would, I would, and I did, I did. There were times when I recorded stuff. And we never released it. I just recorded songs, instrumentals, or whatever uh, over the years, just for the, the the pleasure of doing it, you know. But um, I never expected my life to be one tragic event after another, and it all started in 1997 when I started losing my eyesight, right? That was the first thing. In uh, 1997, um, that was the first real significant negative thing that went down, and um, that was followed by the birth of my son, and we discovered he was autistic after a few years. We knew something wasn't right from the very beginning, but we didn't know what it was because we weren't familiar with autism because most people who don't autistic person in their life don't don't really understand what it is um and uh it took us a number of years before we got the diagnosis and then my daughter was born and then we knew something wasn't right with her and that took us a few years to figure out we knew it wasn't the same thing so then you know your life is defined by if you care as a parent and we certainly did i certainly love my kids and care a great deal about them and they're they're my, they're everything to me and uh, they always have been and always will be so uh, I wanted to make sure that things were, uh, you know, that, that the path was, you know, uh, created for them where they could do the best that they could be, become the best they could become. And what I mean by that is I want to do everything for them and not allow them to, you know, experience struggle because you need struggle in life to be good at anything. Um, but you have to also help people understand your kids. You know, when you're, when you're dealing with the school or you're dealing with, um, you know, what I found was there's a lot of people that that don't uh, even want to make the effort to understand because it's just too inconvenient for them. It's difficult for them. I'm talking about people in the educational system. We, we ran into some teachers who were just not good to work with at all and others that were like heroes. So it just depends, right? Um, for the most part, I would say most people were pretty good. But you get the odd real dink who just didn't want to put the effort in or care um fact that like especially in the case of autism because autistic people do not see the world the same way we do and they don't process things the way we do and they don't learn the same way we do so you have one system that's designed for everybody and then you put a person who can't thrive in that system in there and then you you wonder why they're not doing well and it's because it's just not going to work. You have to help people understand. And some people want to take the time and energy to understand, and other people don't. And that's what, you know, my life was defined by me and my wife working as a team 
advocating for our kids and making sure people understood where they were coming from and why they would behave a certain way or how that works. So that was a big, big job for us. And that's what really defined my life. And that's really a, one of the main reasons why there was no Razor album for 25 years. Because I got to be honest, it's a big undertaking. If you care about your kids, it's a big undertaking to, to put yourself into that. And um, you don't really have time to, to just jump out on tour. Yeah. That. Don't. So, I mean, we were able to do some gigs and things like that over the years, but as far as creating a new album and everything, uh, not so much. And also the other thing is, is that, you know, I wasn't going to make an album until I was sure that there was a demand for it. And uh, that wasn't always the case either. I mean, in the 90s was a brutal time for metal, um, and, you know, and, you know, um, I was there, so I know it was. You know, you get some people who have a differing opinion. Um, I remember I did one interview where somebody said to me, well, you know, Somebody from some other band, I won't name the band because I don't want to throw any mud on anybody, but somebody said, said that the 90s were fine for metal and that people were full of shit. I'm like, well, it was a really big band, okay? And I was like, yeah, for him it was fine. He wasn't that <laughs> when, you, when you're making a, a fucking gold album, uh, every time you put something out, it's fine. You know, like, don't tell me what it was like. I was fucking there. I saw what it was like. So uh, I thought we were retired for good. I didn't think I'd bring Razor back. The internet brought Razor back because people discussed through the downloading. Um, so you're asking me to comment on it. That's the, the summary. And then, of course, you know, um, I've always wanted to, my life to be known as just like in Razors to be an entertainer who brings you a good time. We hit the stage and let's forget about our problems. But I have all this tragedy associated with my life and um, there's nothing I can do about it. That's the way it is. I didn't want to be known for it, but um, that's how it is. And so it becomes, the story becomes for a lot of people that it's very inspiring to see uh, me, uh, you know, uh, pushing ahead. Um, and that's nice. I'll go, I'll, I'll accept that. And I will, uh, you know, I will just, uh, accept whatever, whatever cards I'm dealt. And, uh, that's, you know, I, I really appreciate those, uh, those sentiments coming from people. I, I, I do find it very inspiring. And I think that it's not a lot of people do understand autistic children and autistic, the spectrum in general so so to have you being an advocate for your children and speaking about it on my platform right now on an, as many platforms as you can i think would be something that's amazing uh, how about on mike's side when all of this was happening on the side and razor was sort of put on the back burner what was your experience throughout all of this and what was going on in dave's life well, Dave, dave's been through an immense amount of suffering and stuff so to speak in, in a lot of terms so you know, I I just supported him the best I could and, and came over when it was convenient and able and, and you know, tried to, to be here. So as far as the band, we, we, we still tried to practice and keep our chops up and keep moving forward from the band perspective. But I know Dave's been through a, a lot of hard times and, and he's very inspirational to me too, so... Most definitely. And I, I think that the, the more that it happens, the more that the people are understanding everything that you've been through, because a lot of people, it would have been easy just to curl up and say, life is against me. But you didn't. And that's amazing. Yeah. And I said this on the last trip. Uh, we just got back from uh, Sweden and uh, yeah, we London, Sweden. England. Yeah. And uh, I gave kudos to Dave for actually pushing through, considering everything. And he had just had COVID like three weeks ago. So. Well, I'm still dealing with yeah, COVID stuff. I just, I don't, like, I'm not contagious, but I still have this, I have this long version of it, of course. I'm lucky 
Another another measure of what that's hit me is that yeah. I got this long COVID, so like the symptoms are always. Uh, so we did this little two day or not two day two show trip where we went to England and Sweden, and we did two shows. They were really good shows. The shows went really well, but I was physically exhausted and, yeah. and having a tough tough time. I pushed uh, through. Yeah, you know, it's just, I don't know I how to get the energy and strength to do that. But most yeah. people would just curl up and go, "Yeah, we got to cancel," you know. But, Dave, yeah, I didn't have... want to cancel. It's been we had already canceled those shows a couple of times. I didn't want to do it again. I didn't want to disappoint the people. They were and... Pre-COVID booked shows. So. Yeah, they were booked for twenty early twenty twenty, and then they ended up being delayed because of the pandemic. And then I took the entire year off for the most part because I had to help my wife in her cancer treatments. So we we had a whole bunch of shows that ended up getting uh, postponed. Um, but these ones we left, and uh, I just wanted to get them done. I didn't want to. I don't want to be talking about going to England for like five years and never get it. <laughs> I know exactly the feeling for certain things with cryptopsy that went through the pandemic. Uh, we spoke about what your parents, your, your father specifically, uh, thought about Razor. What do you, what does your kids think about Razor? My, my kids, I think both of them are proud of me. Uh, they're proud of having a dad who um, is a musician who has some notoriety, right? You know, um, so I, I feel like that's, you know, I'm, but they're not like, I don't, they're not cranking my albums or anything. One of them. They, they like different music, right? My daughter's been to a couple shows. My daughter's been to a few shows, but she likes uh, different music, although she can appreciate Razor, but she's not, a, I wouldn't call her a Razor fan. I think she appreciates it, um, but she likes other stuff, you know? And my son too, my son likes country music, right? So it's like different no, but hey, man, everybody has a right to be who they are and like whatever they like. And I don't push, you know, I don't push my stuff on, on anybody. I, I just, they got to discover who they are, uh, you know. Now, when I was a kid, I used to pull my dad's albums out and listen to them all the time. I did that, but I'm talking about when I was like eight years old, nine years old. I was I was kind of fascinated by, you know, the whole idea of being a recording artist. Probably part of the reason why I, I, I went down that path, but... Uh, you know, my kids don't do it. None of that. Right. And plus, you know, different era. Right. They're they're in the streaming era, um, you know, so pulling out records and listening to them with headphones like we used to back in the day. That's not really how it works. I think, right now, so. No, it's not. But it did bring back Razor, the streaming era. You mentioned that before. Um, talk to me about there's a whole new generation of thrash bands, people that are dressing like you guys used to dress in the 80s, acting like you guys used to dress in the 80s. I won't name them. I'm sure you know who they are. What, what is your opinion about this new rehashed era of thrash? You know what? I don't know them that well. <laughs> I know a few of them. Uh, I don't forget that I have because of my eyesight issues. Like I'm, I'm being, being partly blind. I have a difficult time, um, um, like visually, and and that's the thing. Like even 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 yourself. Like if I run into you in person, you'd have no idea who I was. Yeah, you'll have to tell me. And I you know I don't want people to think that they're ever getting snubbed because I I don't snub people, but I do not recognize faces because of my eyesight. It's funny. You have to see somebody for a while. Uh, before you realize that you're storing that information about them and uh, picking I, up their nuances. Yeah, I learned that after I sort of lost sight of both of the eyes. Right, that it's, I, I just don't remember faces that well, but I do pick up things like how people walk and how they move, like like silhouettes. But going back to your original question, you know, um, I would say, um, well, like, I, I think it's it's been helpful for Razor because a lot of festival situations, some of these bands are there. And people come to see them, and they go, "Who are these old guys? They're a fucking killer, right?" Like Razor, they start streaming your stuff and going, "Wow!" Or some people say, 
you know, that's that, that that's just amazing. That's, yeah, you know, I think sometimes I think it's, it's it's complicated though because I'll have to check out some of these new thrash bands because I got to be honest, uh, I got to know what their style is like. Um, if it's different than what we do, because um, like with us, there's kind of a relentlessness, right? Like we don't have too many. Like uh, we're not progressive, except for on custom killing, which is you know uh, experiment. Our music's not progressive. It's structured like verses, bridges, choruses, and things like that. And the tempos are high almost all the time. There's not a lot of what they call mosh parts or things like that. There's it's it's like this all the time, right? So like I was telling Danny, uh, Danny DK, it's it's like that all the time. And um, if these bands are like that, if there's bands like that, I'm interested. I like that. I love that relentlessness, man. That excites me. That. And one band that is like that, that's they're not brand new. They've been around for about, I think, 15, 20 years, maybe, is Violator. And I really like Violator. Uh, they're from um, Chile or Brazil, I think, one or the other. They're from South America. Do you know Violator? You familiar with them? Okay, so, like, you know, stuff like scenarios of brutality or stuff like that. Like, I mean, that, that kind of stuff, I, it's right up my alley. It's like, uh, and we met them in, in the Czech Republic, and they... They were all happy to see us and meet us. They knew right, they were very familiar with us, and uh, they don't speak uh, English, just uh, Spanish. And I, uh, I'm working on my Spanish too, you know. And I, I do know some. I do know some, but I didn't know any then. I started, I started working on French and Spanish in the last five years, just because I've had so many opportunities to talk to people where that's their premier, you know, their their their, their primary language. And I, I thought, ah. I've had enough. I need to. I need to learn some of this. But yeah, they were like we were communicating with gestures and stuff. But uh, clearly, they were they were big fans. And uh, I told them I, I was the same. Right? I was like really happy to meet them. And I said, "You guys are amazing, and keep it up." And you know, someday I'm not going to be able to play like this. I'm getting older. We need some people who play right. like this. Right. So, because yeah. the, the people that come to the shows need that outlet, and I think it's a great thing. Well, you know, I mean, there's all so much going on with metal now. And I know I noticed even with Cycle, the new album, right? Like, you can't take for granted that people get it. You you hope that, but they don't, some people don't, some metal fans don't get it, right? Maybe they're listening to Machine Head or, or Lamb of God or something, and they don't, they don't understand what we're doing. They just don't get it. It's like, what are these guys doing? Everything's 100 miles an hour all the time. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Everything's 100 miles an hour all the time. What do you think? Surprise! <laughs> Welcome guys, to Razor. First, yeah, <laughs> first crash experience was Enter Sandman. By well, you know, like what drives me yeah. what drives me a little bit nuts is what, and I, I stopped reading the reviews. Don't read reviews. That was so. <laughs> don't read reviews. No, no, you can't. I learned the hard way. I believe some, some of the stupid shit people were saying, and I mean stupid, stupid stuff. Morons, right? Like. And especially people talking about the production of this record, because that it pisses me off. Because first of all, anybody who's all hung up on the production and nothing else is a knucklehead anyway, because you should be talking about the songwriting and the performances and, and things like that. When you're talking about production, you're not a fan. You're just a knucklehead. You're an empty head talking about, first of all, what's production? What I'm, I'm listening to the album on my phone out of one speaker <laughs> yeah. on my phone. Or, you know, I, what are you doing? You can't have an opinion on production unless you're listening to it on the same gear that somebody else is listening to it on. And by the way, good gear has switches to change mid-range and treble and bass at the minimum. You can, you know, like, so people who get on and on about production, they could just go fuck themselves because I don't care. I just don't care about that comment. But 
there's a whole bunch of those morons on the internet. So I have to stop. <laughs> I have to stop uh, uh, reading it. I can't deal with it. Rule number one, never read the comments or read the reviews. <laughs> but I like people to remember that any asshole in his mother's basement can access the internet and give you his expert opinion. Okay? So the only way you're going to find out if you like the music is to listen for yourself. Absolutely. I would love to see a Razor tour, if that's something that you're still interested in doing, um, with all these young bands as a part of a package. I think that would be a very cool tour. Hey, you know, I, I'm up for it. We, we will be playing more. I want to play more. I mean, like, that's the thing, too. You know, I, I'm not... Uh, I'm not against that idea at all. Well, I still can, um, you know, I, I've got a few years left where I think I can still, uh, you know, whip some ass on a stage. So, uh, I'd like to do it and we're planning to do it. We want to promote this record and we'll see where we're at a year from now and, uh, how this record does overall. We'll determine whether we do it on one or not. Very interesting. Yeah. We, want to, we want to give it a chance to get out there and tell people about it and play and get out there and play it for people. Uh, you've mentioned a few times just in the past few minutes there, like, while wow, you can still do it. What is the determining factor of the end of Razor? Um, if I, if, if everybody started talking like those production-ass wipes on the internet, that would be the end of Razor. <laughs> I don't I'll make records and play them for myself because I'm not interested in pleasing those idiots. If I thought that most of the people out there were of that mindset, uh, that listen to metal, then I would give up because I don't want to play for fatheads anyway. Um, that would be the thing that would determine the end of Razor at this I, point. I think physically to play that fast. Yeah, that was the answer I was expecting. Yes. Well, I've had I've had uh, four surgeries on my hands. Two, two on really? Yeah, and um, um, all because of the playing. Really? And uh, yeah, but you know what? Right now, my hands are pretty good. What what what, what were they fixing? What what are, what are some? See, I've never heard I, of this. I bilateral carpal tunnel from uh, from uh, just years of abuse, and then I had uh, locked my thumbs locked, my trigger thumb locked from picking, really? and I also had locked a thumb on this hand. So I've had my thumbs released, and I've had two carpal tunnels. Yeah, unbelievable. I still get cortisone injections in what in my hand, uh, this right hand. Every uh, four months for the uh, in, for the um, the middle finger, and not because I've been giving it the finger, <laughs> but because it just it locks up on me sometimes. So um, yeah, so but right now, uh, you know, it depends. We'll have to see. Yeah, maybe someday they won't work, and if they won't work, that might change things. I think they'll still create music in some or whatever. Right? Yeah, there's no guarantee. There's no not tour. Well, there's no guarantee that every song is going to be a thousand miles an hour every time. There's just no guarantee. It's, what I felt like doing when we when I when I put the music for cycle together is that's what I felt like doing. Um, I felt like it had been 25 years. I wanted to make a record that that I thought was um, would appeal to Razor fans. I wanted to give people what they were hoping for. Razor fans, okay, not 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 some of these other people. Like the other comment that drove me nuts, not just the production thing. It was this guy who. Um, was whining that there was no diversity on the record. And I'm like, well, if you're looking uh, for diversity on a Razor album, you're looking in the wrong fucking place. And you clearly don't have much knowledge of who we are or where we come from, what we do. You know, you just, and, and but it doesn't stop you from going on the internet and just shouting it out to the world, <laughs> you know, that you don't know anything. But lots of people are doing that. 
I've had to learn that. That's been a lesson for me. Well, it's your first. It's your first album in twenty five years. So the internet did not quite exist the way that it does now. <laughs> And not everyone could write a review about your previous album, sadly. <laughs> you know, and then I, I actually, I just, it's been an eye-opener. I'll tell you, it's been an eye-opener. Um, but not not because I care about what they're saying, just the fact that some shit's being said that's really dumb. And I'm thinking, well, they're probably doing that to other bands, too. <laughs> and they're probably not just doing it to Everyone. Probably saying really stupid shit about, about Krotops. You know, they're, they're probably saying it about everybody, right? <laughs> Okay, we can't look at look. I just hope people are smart enough to realize that they don't need to believe what they just read if it's coming from some some idiot who's on there. You know, the worst offender is that website Metal Archives because people can go on Metal Archives and it doesn't matter who you are, you just write whatever bullshit you want and you're a reviewer, right? Like one guy was saying something stupid about Cycle before I decided I'll never look again. And I just wanted to see what his credentials were because he was saying legendary stupid stuff. And he was 16 years old. And he was <laughs> teaching a, me about metal. He's a metal Go expert. Fuck yourself. <laughs> Telling me a 58-year-old man who's been doing it for 40 years about how to make good metal. I need his advice. <laughs> he, he probably can't play guitar, but maybe he can. He's younger <laughs> than my son, and he's fucking got, got to tell him how to do it. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. I'm a Canadian metal band. Cryptopsy has had its struggles being a Canadian metal band. Razor has definitely had its struggles being a Canadian metal band. Why is it so difficult? being a band from canada why do we feel somewhat trapped there, there's a bunch of amazing metal bands from here that have made it out voivod being probably the biggest one in my personal experience with the scene uh what what is it about being from canada that keeps us trapped here okay so i would say right off the top um when we talk about voivod we have to differentiate Quebec from the rest of canada because quebec had a metal scene in the 80s that was much more european in in style and they had access to, uh, they had much more stronger ties to the scene. So they, there's an advantage that, that existed from that standpoint at that time. Um, plus, they got a chance to do some shows with bands like Rush and uh, Annihilator, another band that got a chance to tour with as Priest. So if you're going to put a band on with Priest or on with Rush, that's going to help you uh, certainly uh, achieve more. Get, Plus, get a good fan base. Yeah. yeah, get a good fan base. But my issue is, I, is that the the prevailing winds in Canada 
I'm not sure how much they've changed in the 40, 45 years uh, since uh, I was expressing my frustration at the fact that agents, club owners, record companies, managers, radio stations, all of them have their head fully up their ass when it comes to metal in Canada. It was a big problem in the 80s. All they wanted to do was the heaviest shit they would even get busy with was like Coney Hatch. Nothing wrong with Coney Hatch, actually. It's good hard rock music, but it's not what we were doing. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I dealt with managers. We, we were trying to get a manager for Razor in spite of what my first singer said, which he didn't know what he was talking about. But we were trying to get a manager for Razor. And we talked to prospective managers in Canada. And, you know, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They said we were too heavy. We weren't commercial. We weren't going to be on the radio. There was no appeal. There wasn't an audience for what we were doing. Um, but they also laughed at Slayer. They laughed at Metallica. They laughed at, they laughed at a lot of bands that became huge because they didn't understand. Maybe that's still a problem up here. I, I, I don't know. Like You guys would have to tell me because I haven't been worried about it for for like 30 years i just wrote them off i wrote off the canadian establishment and said they're, they're, they're they don't know they're just out of it and um you know i just feel felt like that's how it was and I, I don't know if it's changed or not see the internet allowed me also to connect with the rest of the world much better so razor's been way more exposed to the rest of the world since since uh you know like the mid nineties late, like after, uh, especially when we got to the high speed internet, but, uh, just being able to communicate with people, uh, like in Europe and stuff, communicating was tougher back in the day. Right. Um, but we had a record company that, that we made a mistake. We made a mistake signing with Attic records in, uh, 1984. That was our biggest mistake. We should have, we should have signed with metal blade records, which was an option and we didn't do it. And that was our mistake. And where Voivod made a very smart decision because they, by the way, they were friends of ours in 1984. We were talking to them, and I knew their manager, Maurice Richard, uh, Maurice Rocker Richard. We would talk to them, and uh, he, um, they were going to sign with Attic as well. And they made a right turn at the end and decided not to. And that was the smart decision. They made the right decision. And I'm sure that led to a lot better opportunities and exposure for them. Um, you know, and they also turned their attention to the America and to the Europe. Uh, yeah, which we should have been doing. We should have been focusing on those areas. That's where everything was really growing. Um, Canada had a great scene too, but these establishment people weren't doing anything to help it, help it along. Yeah, there was a, certainly enough bands. But was... mm -hmm. The shows were just as nuts up here as they were anywhere else. Uh, the fans were there. The, 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 the fans got it, and they were with it, but the... Um, the rest of the people didn't, you know. And people would say to me, well, what about Banzai? Banzai was doing all this. No, Banzai wasn't doing a lot of stuff. Banzai was Michelle Meese. He owned a store in Montreal called Rockenstock, and he was he was a very important provider of great imports. He brought a lot of imports into Canada and licensed them and made them domestic. But he wasn't signing bands. He was just putting out a lot of, um, you know, like stuff that you were buying on import. All of a sudden, you could get it domestically because of uh, Banzai. So it wasn't like we had this label that was competing with metal blade or something that's not what bands i was doing at all so attic record sadly went with defunct right is what happened and then sadly right and then it got taken over by unidisc and all unidisc does is uh, they're just like uh, bottom, bottom feeders they just they, they don't do anything they just grab bankrupt companies and they just put out 
Uh, they don't care. They'll put out disco music, reggae music, jazz music, and they'll put out razor. They don't care. You know what I mean? It's just like, whatever. Is it making us money? Good. Next. Uh, so you, you completed your contract, basically. And then at that point, you can move on. Well, we can't move on. They still own the, like, like I mean, well, you know, I wouldn't even say they own it. I, what I'd say is I'm not challenging it. Right I understand. Now. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I accept the way it is. It just means that I don't have time or interest in wasting my time in fighting that. But that doesn't mean that I accept that this is the way it should be. I don't think it is. I think after this many years, um, it's been over 20 years, there should be a statute of limitations. Absolutely. They should not own my bastards at all. And I'm not even sure that I couldn't win if I put the money into it and sued them. But I can't afford to take the chance. I but just there's, there's other bands too, like uh, Anvil, um, April Wine, yeah, uh, Aaron, they all got screwed by it. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, the thing is, is that it comes a point in time where you have to decide if you want to fight it or not. And life is too short in some cases to, to fight every single thing because the artist is always getting the stick up the ass. Okay, it, for whatever reason, the entertainment industry and especially the music business is designed that if you want to be an artist, you'd better be passionate about it because you're going to always be the last one to get fucking paid. And that just seems to be how it is. It's true. And, uh, and, you know, some of these people are predatory. They, they prey on it. You know, the record companies are the worst, really, uh, when it comes to preying on uh, the fact that an artist has an emotional attachment to that music and they exploit that for their fucking profit and they don't give a shit. Worse in Canada than anywhere else. The company I'm with in the States right now, Relapse Records, is way more concerned about the well-being of the artist. Back in the day, though, it's just ruthless bullshit. Okay? And, uh, you know, I, I don't have any, you know, I, I have no love for, for, for that. Um, I think it's gross to be that greedy, to be honest with you. Life's too short. If you're going to be that greedy, you're just a fucking asshole, man. There's more to life than just every fucking dollar you can grub for yourself. That's what I think. I agree with you, and uh, it is sort of sad because they're preying upon artists and people that tend to not have much finances, and we put everything into it. So I agree with everything you've said. Relapse is a very cool label. It's ran. One of the owners owns Wayfinder Brewing, which is a very cool brewery uh, over in Portland. Uh, Talk to me about uh, choosing to go with Relapse after all these years and coming back. What was that decision-making? There must have been a bunch of labels that wanted to put out the next Razor album. Uh, Why did you settle on Relapse? Yeah, well, it was very simple. What happened with Relapse was about 10 years ago, uh, we got an uh, uh, email from a Razor fan who, um, I mean, we know he's a Razor fan because he had the Razor logo tattooed on his hand. And he uh, he worked for Relapse. And he was uh, like 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 one of the, uh, shipping, the, the shipping receiving coordinator or manager or whatever it was. And he sent us an email. He said, hey, you know, uh, just touching base. And we got talking. And he said, you know, we'd love to, we'd love to release some of your uh, records. So that that just developed into a situation where, you know, we got a warm feeling from him because he seemed like he was a real fan. And uh, we took a trip down to uh, Philadelphia where they're based out of, and we met the uh, team there, met the manager and met everybody. And uh, we were sold on the fact that they were um, not like a typical record company that we had dealt with over the years. And uh, so we, and we of course also had um, a much different list of things that had to be in place for us to be willing to do it. Like our, our we would certainly not be signing contracts like we did back in 1984. Um, and so we told them what needed to be there for us to do a deal and they, they accommodated it. And uh, we worked with them. We were really happy with that arrangement. So we put the, um, 
three albums, Violent Restitution, Shotgun Justice, and Open Hostility came out through them. And, uh, you know, we watched how that went, and it was, went well. So um, we liked the relationship. We liked the working relationship. So we gave them some more stuff, and we decided to do uh, a cycle with them. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, I love beer collabs. I don't have one that I've made here. I've released 60 of them over the past two, three years with the podcast. I've done some with Cryptopsy. If you could make a Razor collab, it doesn't have to be a beer. Anything that would really, really make sense for Razor that you could have your logo on, something that is a passion of yours for me, obviously it's beer. Uh, what would your Razor collab be? Mine might be whiskey, because I like I like good whiskey, uh, good Canadian whiskey. That might be something. <clears throat> Bob's a vodka guy. He likes whiskey, too. Oh, Bob drinks Bob everything. drinks anything. Bob's, Bob's out. <laughs> Bob drinks whatever is available. Uh, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, he uh, likes beer, too. He likes everything. He drinks uh, everything alcoholic. Yeah, uh, I'd have to go with a whiskey. whiskey I, I, I'm more of the ginger ale than Coke guy, but... Uh... <laughs> what are you saying? I'm something? <laughs> And ginger ale. I like it. Whiskey ginger ale. I, I do like that too. Canada dry. That's what I used to get when I had the flu when I was a kid too, though. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that, that translates really well into my final question. Classic Vox and Hops wrap-up question. Uh, it probably doesn't happen to you all the time, but every once in a while it does happen to any of us. Uh, what is your hangover cure? Another beer? <laughs> <laughs> what? Probably that's what it is. I, you know what? I get hangovers. I've been very lucky. I've never really felt hungover in my life. Uh, the worst I ever had was um, a strange inability to sleep the morning after. Like I would get like like I was really blitzed or something, and then I'd wake up the next day like seven in the morning, and I should be really be sleeping longer. But I'd be like, no, no, I feel like I'm wide awake, you know. And um, but if I had any kind of like headache or anything, I'd probably just take a sip of alcohol because it's a withdrawal thing right it's a withdrawal right that's what's causing it yeah alcohol withdrawal so so hydrate yourself and take a little sip of alcohol and put a little back you know and that would probably help get rid of it wouldn't it that's what i would think mine is when you when you go out you're coming home and you got that good buzz going you're thinking i just gotta go to bed no go there and force feed two glasses of water down before you go to bed maybe even throw an advil in there no there you go <laughs> that's a real good one that one yeah because you hydrate it, right? And then uh, you're usually pretty good. Dave, Mike, thank you so, so much for taking the time, hanging out with me, talking about your life, talking about music, talking about craft beer a little bit. Um, I really enjoyed this. Everyone get on the train, listen to Cycle of Contempt. Came out September 23rd via Relapse Records. It's a banger. Guys, thank you so much. I had a blast. I hope you guys did too. Cheers. We'll, do some, show, we'll yeah. do some shows together sometime. And get some, get a nice pair of headphones and crank cycle up. The production is fantastic. Don't listen to any fucking knucklehead on the internet. <laughs> get the right headphones and you'll love it. Cheers, man. Okay, all the best, my friend. Cheers. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an epically deep, deep hang. So inspiring. Dave's story just, just 
it got me his perseverance his his way of approaching struggles in life is truly inspiring nothing can stop razor i am beyond stoked that they are back after a 25 year break massive cheers today for being so open and so honest with me and massive cheers for mike for staying beside him and supporting him throughout all the years i am beyond honored to be from canada the same country as razor massive cheers to the both of you and i cannot wait to hang out with you guys again soon now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Auto Podcasts mailing list. You can do that by going to my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. When you do that, you shall receive one email a week that will detail everything that is going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Auto Podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I drop that week. You will get to see which episodes I have coming up. You also get to hear about any projects I have in the works. And trust me, I always got a lot of stuff going on. You also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed that week and you will get to see which albums jerry monk vox and hops's metal architect himself has added to the brutal awakenings playlist there is always a lot of things going on in the world of the vox and hops metal podcast and i hate when you miss a single thing so please sign up to the mailing list the vox and hops metal podcast is brought to you by sound talent media and evergreen podcasts i hope you have a killer rest of the week i have one more episode coming up this friday but until then remember to enjoy life metal and craft beer Cheers, Fox and Hops heads. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. 